0: Welcome back to a brand new year with the Build Our Future podcast. I'm still so very excited to continue on speaking with so many people and companies and how they're changing our collective mindsets and the way in which we tackle our daily construction lives and businesses. But moving forward, I'm equally excited to start talking to so many different individuals within our industry to share their insights, struggles, and triumphs as they move forward in their career. My hope is that you, just as I have, Listen, learn, and grow with so many companies and people we talk to. Enjoy the show. This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings. And afterwards, our building shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. There's still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design. Craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do an invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future Podcast. Really, really excited to have Maddie Sharif from Glove Systems. Interesting enough, Glove Systems—I actually started becoming aware of them from a previous episode with Professor Carl Haas. I believe he's a um, an advisor for Glove Systems. But Maddie, pleasure having you on. Thank you for coming. Hey, Ro.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: Wonderful. So. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and, you know, your journey, and then kind of bring that back full circle back towards Glove Systems and what you guys are doing in the marketplace.
1: Sure. Yeah. I was born in Canada. I was here until I was seven. Then my parents moved back to Iran, and then I spent 16 years of my life over there and did my undergrad in civil. And then I got married, came over here to do a master's, master's with Dr. Haas, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. yeah. where you know this all began. We were working on a construction project with one of Canada's largest fabricators. And the idea there was that you, you walk into a fabrication shop. Today, you'll see workers using tape measures, bubble levels, squares, and that type of hand measurement tools. We wanted to rethink that and see... What are the different ways of measurement? How can we improve this? How can we add technology to this? And two years went by. This started as a research project and was very high level, very abstract. Two years went by, finished my master's, and, you know, we thought there is a commercial opportunity here. So we we co-founded Glove Systems, and here we are. And finishing up my PhD, and Glove Systems is two or three years old
0: oh perfect perfect i mean that's that's pretty interesting trying to find the need right i mean even today sometimes i find that we're so used to the construction industry doing things like we've always done them right like people yeah. think the tape measure is always perfect the level is always perfect right why why incorporate technology and learn a new system right but
1: no i was just gonna say if you talk to folks on the plant there's always people that say yeah what we have is great but you know, honestly, most of the guys would say, "We know, you no, know, it's not great," but there is really no alternative. Like we see this image of construction industry almost at a pause, and we compare that with manufacturing, where you got all these crazy robots doing everything, and everything's automated. But the the problem really is, and the problem that we try to delve in and really understand, was. Why is it that a lot of the automated systems do work in manufacturing, but they don't work in fabrication? Because as you know, you know, prefabrication and modularization is only increasing, but the tools that the workers have hasn't changed at all. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why is that? And of course, part of the reason is manufacturing, you, got, you know, types of parts being manufactured over and over and over again. So it economically makes sense. To have and build these automated systems, but with fabrication, where you've got these one-off parts, it's much harder, and that's kind of the problem that we try to tackle. You know, how do you, how do you create an automated control system that can be economic and easy to use, and yet can adapt with different parts and different assemblies and with radically different geometries?
0: Right. So I guess that was like the the gap. I guess you found in the market. Right. People were pushing with these. We might call it radical in the general idea, but, you know, modularization has always been there, right? In certain aspects. But I think now it's becoming more in a little bit of a grander scale, right? So would it fair to say that contractors and engineers that kind of did it the quote unquote old school way? You mentioned in the fab shop, they would use tape measures, but engineers and designers and stuff, they would do it the old school way in their office, just on CAD kind of thing. And then you would have to physically go and check everything out. And I guess that was the kind of gap that you saw with the rise in modular construction as well?
1: Absolutely. You know, from our perspective, once you have a drawing, fab worker really has two options. you got these expensive serving crews that you can bring in with laser trackers and total stations that really nobody likes them because they wouldn't be happy with what I'm saying right now. But <laughs> it's really a weird domain. It's really hard to use those devices. It's hard to understand them. So it's very esoteric and on the other hand so people don't want to use those stuff even if they're extremely they can't extremely be accurate if you use them right but then you know because they're expensive and hard to use so what people tend to do is you know they try to get away with their tape measures well if you need better quality all right that's easy I'm just going to add more quality control personnel to this and they're going to use the same tools that's all they do and that doesn't solve the issue of you know, workers not having the right tool they need to build the stuff that they're building. And that that's all we're about. I guess that's part of our platform. And then the other part, which you touched on, is right now everything's happening in 3D, design's in 3D. But then when it gets down to the fab floor, it's all two-dimensional drawings, right? right? And there's already literature, massive literature around well, if you just provide them with a 3D model, if you just let the workers see it in 3D, what is it that they're supposed to build, you know, that will improve productivity. So why that doesn't happen? So that's part of the other value proposition is how could we move from two-dimensional PDF you know, drawings and markups to 3D transparent measurement? And that's the other part of the platform.
0: Yeah. So speaking of that, on that same that same vein, that same line, just like with most technologies, I find, you know, being a business owner myself, this technology that always seems to make total, complete sense from a management perspective, from an operational perspective. But once you start getting down to the people on my side, on the project site, and your side, maybe on the fabrication floor, how did you guys start bridging that gap? Because not to put words in the mouth, but I can probably say that more than likely the the decision makers were like, this is awesome. This is going to work. But then how did they bridge that gap to the, or how did you help bridge that gap to the people on the fabrication floor specifically?
1: Good, good question. And this didn't come to us in a day. or just kind of happened naturally. There are a couple of things we did. First off, we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work with actual workers directly. So we didn't go back to the office and come up with this brilliant idea, and they show it to them, and they go, "Wow, it was always very iterative, so you know we come up with something, we show it to them, and they'll come back to us and say, "You know what this part doesn't make any sense? why don't you do it this way? Why don't you do it that way and having that market feedback and that feedback from the actual workers was extremely important as part of that. The other part of it was when we began we we wanted to make a tool that was extremely easy to use because What we don't need in the market is another sophisticated engineering tool that can do all sorts of cool stuff, but you need three weeks of training to use it and then you need to have a dedicated person to use it. So we kind of distinguish ourselves from, we don't want to be that. And then finally, the iteration never stops. Even today, as we roll out these new features, we go talk to people and it always come back with some sort of modification. And. The bridging the gap work, I guess it's a never-ending work and we always need to understand what is it that they need, how they do their job right now, what does a better solution look like. On a last note, on an example project, there was this project that the workers were supposed to build a complex pipe spool down to a sixteenth of an inch tolerance. And they were using tape measures. And it was interesting because the fitters would measure stuff, it'll be to spec. And then they, you know, call in the QC to come in and measure it. The QC measures it first, it's out by three-eighths. And then they measure it again, it's within. And then they measure it again, it's out again. And
0: (laughs) Easy easy sell at that point,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, at that point, we're doing research and we were standing there with our scanner and our software. And the workers were like, if only there was a better solution standing right here. And we couldn't, you know, we couldn't do it in a better way. So there are times that better solution just sell itself. So Yeah, that,
0: that, make, that makes total sense. So now if you can take me back to the start again, what kind of platform did you launch with? And by extension, how has it evolved over the years? I mean, you talked about new capabilities coming up now, but can you tell me a little bit more, some of the different solutions you have now and what you kind of launched with based on what you saw a need in the market?
1: Absolutely. So Where we started was a simple scan versus BIM. So kind of what if we take a picture of what we have right now and compare it with the model and any discrepancy would be outlined to the worker immediately. So that's kind of where we started. And that was the research. What is the advantages of this system of measurement and comparison? And then over the years, as we've grew to know more about the market, as we've grown the platform, we've realized, well, what if there is no 3D model? How could we provide value to the worker if there is no 3D model? How could we become this platform for quality data that we, you could have You know, your images, you could have all good reports, you could have 3D scans. And then with COVID hitting, of course, the value to us became even crisper because in the old days, you would send guys to the site, you would send your guys to the shop, you would have them to observe a measurement. And, of course, with COVID, that's, that's harder to do. People are more resistant to do. So the value of doing things remote and having this remote capability has only increased. So now we are very focused on what are the, all the pieces of information you need to do the quality control on this piece of assembly remotely and as a result of that what happens is all stakeholders have access to the data the same data at the same time they could collaborate and they could communicate over it so i'll tell you a story i was talking to this fabrication manager and i was like what happens Right now that you don't do any 3D scanning and you just mark it up in a drawing and then send it to site, what happens if there's an issue on site? And he was like, well, it depends. If it's our own team, uh, you know, we could talk it over on the phone. If it's another team, it's going to be a bigger issue. But we'll try to resolve it over the phone. And we was telling me the stories of they send a spool to the site. They call him up and say, you know, the flan- your flying is facing the wrong way. He would go, no, it doesn't. And that goes on for two, you know for a couple of hours on yeah. documents yeah. and emails and pictures back <laughs> and forth. And it turns out it's actually not. There's been a mistake in the, in the reading of a barker, for example. Um. And with 3D platforms, you could just hop on on your platform, look at the same assembly in 3D and then talk over it and talk about it. So there's a real important value there.
0: So you would say, in, not necessarily in order for it to work perfectly or properly, but there can be some sort of a correlation and, I guess, collaboration between like a BIM model and what you've done in terms of a 3D kind of model for a prefabricated unit, right?
1: Absolutely. If you look at, if you look at it from a 10,000-foot view of a project lifecycle, you've got your BIM model. At least for the industrial fabrication, I 'm not talking yep. about commercial buildings yep. you got your BIM model, and then that BIM model gets translated to these drawings, pieces of drawings that get fabricated into the fab shop, get assembled, and get shipped to the site. If you look at it from the market perspective, there's a lot of uh, good stuff going around creating a BIM model in the design stage, a lot of sophisticated software and if you look at it from installation and maintenance point of view, there's a lot of good software packages as well but then no one's looking at the fabrication portion of it saying i have these assets what's happening to them what is the discrepancy of my assembly when it's in the shop versus the model and then if you integrate that if you collect the data of your assets during fabrication you could theoretically feed that into your digital twin and your asset management system and then have that all that data for later.
0: You know, I, I agree. And you know, further through some of the solutions, what I I actually kind of gravitated to what you were doing is something you guys call glove nuke. Can you tell me what that is? And, and that concept? Because I feel it's the most criti- one of the, the most critical things when it comes to modular construction.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea of glove nuke and how it happened was quite serendipitous. So we're doing what we're doing, we're approached on a nuclear project, but the concept is the same across the board. And the concept is, how could you verify that the things that you're fitting in your fab shop will fit on site? And the concept is, let's forget about design for a second. I have a site condition and I have a fabricated piece. How can I verify before shipping it to the site that this will fit in? And the case of the nuclear case, Well, you got this reactor vault that's on site, and then you got these complex pipe spools in your shop, and you don't have the opportunity of missing a minute in the vault because your workers are exposed to radiation. Mm -hmm. They can only be there for 15, 20 minutes, and each day that your schedule gets behind, you're losing a million dollars. So you're willing to do everything that you possibly can to avoid any project schedule delays. So that project, what we're doing there is grab the fabricated part in the fab shop, compare it with its most recent 3D model, and then finally grab the site data and then make them up to show how things will line up and do basically a virtual fit and do that easily and quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see that application not just in the nuclear facility. You could also see it in so many others where you're trying to add on to an existing structure or from a prefab kind of model, right? What was the big joke... A little while ago, they were building that underground tunnel, and you just hope they meet in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I guess this kind of solves some of those, those potential causes for concern, right?
1: Yes, yes. And some of these solutions do exist today. The problem is they exist in form of these complex workflows that no one understands. So the real problem that we're trying to solve is how do you deliver the solution in an easy-to-use way? So that the fabrication worker and the site team could use. We don't want to be on Say We don't want to be doing this for them. We want to allow them to do it. So that's really the interesting aspect of it also.
0: That's cool. So, you know, in terms of like how people would use your system, I know you've got solutions for owners, for actual fabricators. But just on a macro level kind of thing, if you could walk me through from when somebody first signs on, you know, to create a new 3D model. Like walk me through, like, can site people use it? Is there like mobile application or tablet application? Just, just okay. kind of tell me how that process kind of works uh, using both systems.
1: Okay, so we really have two types of customers and it always depends because, you know, in construction we have all these different projects, things always differ from one another, but on a very high level, really have two types of customers. The first one are the fabricators who are building stuff. They want to build them quicker, faster, and then they want a better tool to have their workers use it because that'll actually increase their, it gives them leverage in their competition. So that, that's one, and I'll, and I'll get to how does that work for them. The other one that we also have is, you know, you got these project owners and we got big project owners or you got smaller ones. And they have fabricators working for them they want to avoid having to having ship shipping you know incorrect assembly so they come to us and say how can my fabricator use your stuff so the way the platform works is the platform is comprised of a windows based machine that you have in your fab shop and there is also the web aspect of it so in the fab shop you could use the measurement platform to verify your stuff and as soon as you're connected to the web Everything's pushed to the cloud, and then you could take advantage of the web aspect of it to review what's been done over the web and verify stuff. And from an implementation point of view, once you've got your design drawings uh, completed, fabrication shell would come to us and say, all right, how can I actually use your stuff? Process would be that we need to have a scanner. Sometimes they do before they meet us. Sometimes we need to help them through the process of picking the right scanner. Once they have the equipment, we'll give them a laptop software and they, they install it and they start using it in their fab shop as part of their process. Depending on the complexity, they might use it as part as an interim steps as they're fabricating or they could do the fabrication, do one final inspection and then be done with it and then share that with their client. The client sees it, sees the analysis in 3D. It's not a PDF drawing anymore. Mm-hmm. Everything's transparent and everything is indiscriminate because who cares who runs a scanner? scanner is the scanner and they can verify. From a project owner perspective, we have really different models. Sometimes they choose to buy the licenses themselves and then distribute that within their fabricators. Sometimes they require their fabricators to basically be equipped with this technology. So it really depends on how they prefer to have it implemented.
0: Perfect. And I'm assuming now the site personnel have access to this information on the fab floor just to make sure what they're doing actually meets that whole 3D model, that design kind of thing, right?
1: Absolutely. So once the fabrication is done, they have this option of sharing. Once they share, the recipient of that shared link could actually see the scan, could actually see the model. They could actually see the comparison between the scan and the model. They could make notes. They could see images, videos, additional reports they would have access to all that with clicking just one link that they could view through their phones, tablets, computers, you name it.
0: That's awesome. And it seems like you guys have progressed to some pretty unique avenues as you're kind of evolving uh, with it. But you guys were in um, a competition recently, the Velocity competition. Can you tell me a little bit more about it, how it's helped you not just gain some additional notoriety within glove systems, but also just in general in the marketplace?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, You know, on a higher level, we are very fortunate to be in the Waterloo area in Canada. We got a great community of supporting startups. There's Velocity, there's Communitech, there is University of Waterloo itself. So Velocity had this pitch competition, this three-minute pitch competition that, that we won. The way it really helped us was through a couple things. First off, it is hard to condense your message down onto three minutes so
0: <laughs> yeah that's so true <laughs> Yeah,
1: that you got to do everything you got to do problem solution business market all that in three minutes and you can't talk fast so i tried really hard to talk slow because i talk too fast
0: i have that same issue so i'm here i'm with you on that one
1: <laughs> you should have seen me a year ago like these days i just keep telling myself just slow down, take a breath. So that that was one. Honestly, it, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to get, and it's so useful once you do it. The other part was it just it introduced us to a community of investors. Doing what we do is capital intensive. We have very sophisticated team, and we, we were able to raise funds with that. You know, confirmation. You know, all right. So Velocity thinks this is a good idea. So this is this this should make sense. So that's really the two ways that helped us. Along with, you know, a shout out to just the guys helping us, you know, Jay Shaw, Scott Rose and John Cappuccini, these guys are there for us twenty four seven. We need anything, they're just there for us and startups are hard and you need support and these guys have been great.
0: That's awesome. So now tell me a little bit more about the future. Like obviously there's one thing seeing where you think you're going to go and potentially where you're actually going to go, right? But are there any further improvements and add-ons and capabilities that you're looking to implement short and long-term?
1: Oh, hundred percent. The way I think about it is there are a couple avenues. So one is from, you know, as, we, as remote work increases, I think, you know, once COVID is all done and over with, people are going to realize that, you know, That many travel wasn't necessary. So what are the alternative tools that we can use to avoid all that? So that remote inspection platform, we want to add as many data pieces to it as possible. So we want to really dive very deep into that as to if you're not going to be on site, what are all the information that you need to be able to make decisions? So we want to allow you to do that. That's one the other avenue that we see, and I'm working on it more on the research side at this point, is using augmented reality tools. So the more you help with visualizing the data, the more value you can bring to the table. So instead of seeing the 3D point cloud through my computer, what if I could visualize it on site and I could see how it's going to fit up with the, with the rest of my site condition? And of course, the challenges there are, how do you transfer the data? What are the interoperability issues? And what are the accuracy issues? Because augmented reality is great, but then the accuracy is going to be a challenge, especially with fabrication. And then finally, from an owner's perspective, we think we could have a lot of value for project owners trying to manage these quality data into one unified platform. Finally, integrating these different data pieces that we're gathering from fabrication point of view to other project management or enterprise systems that larger companies require to have everything within so i think these are kind of the different paths that we will be undertaking but mm-hmm. You plan and then God laughs, mm-hmm.
0: right? Well, it's not just that. Then you find out, you know, as you said, from some of your current users, they come back to you with things that they're actually using. They're like, you know what? We could use this instead of this, right? I mean, the people who are actually using it sometimes, they come up with some really great concepts and ideas to push forward with as well.
1: well 100%. That's just good product management. I mean, you got to do that. If you're not listening to your customers, I think you're just flying got... blind.
0: Yeah, I think that's for anybody, right? Yes. Now, Tell me a little bit about the scalability. I I think this is pretty unique in terms of it feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it feels like it's very scalable for like the medium to extremely high. What about scalability lower down? And by that, I mean more in terms of, you know, you look at some of these commercial projects out there and you've got millwork pieces and this, and all these pieces have to kind of come together. Do you see that potentially down the line in some way, shape or form with 3D modeling kind of fitting all the pieces together?
1: I do. I mean, what we need to understand there is kind of the tolerance requirements. Some of the times, if you think, for example, cabinetry, if your tolerance is, is an inch, then the tape measure, as we know, sometimes is good. <laughs> it has enough.
0: its uses. It has yeah. Its uses. <laughs> yeah, so
1: it really depends on the value that we bring. If the value is there, 100%. So anytime that you need to control geometry and control quality rigorously, that's an application
0: yeah yeah and the last one that i'm really interested in you know with doing this kind of show and stuff is when people start implementing these kind of 3d modelings on a larger scale and stuff it's built for a certain life cycle lifespan right not just the product itself but i'm talking about the whole structure as a whole do you see having these 3d modelings these 3d models i should say Come into play with potential adaptive reuse of buildings down the line where you can kind of mix and match parts, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, that building's no longer needed. But you know what? Hey, look, we've got these 3D models of all of these systems. Can we use this someplace else? We have the model. Can we do it?
1: Absolutely. That's part of the bigger picture of these digital twins. And if you've got a digital twin which has these 3D scans and 3D models as they were built as part of them, then there are a lot of opportunities out there. I mean, you could think about a marketplace of these three D scans and three D models. What if we could distribute them in a, in a more effective way?
0: Yeah, materials markets. Professor Haas mentioned that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And actually, I'm stealing the idea from him. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, no, I I think so. I absolutely think so.
0: Oh, that's, uh, you know, what? it's it's pretty intriguing, some of the possibilities with, with the advancements we're making in technology, right? How we can make certain things seem more feasible to us, not just now, but into the future, right?
1: Absolutely. No, I, I 100% foresee this future when you walk into a fab shop, it's going to look a lot different than it is today. It's going to be workers using new and advanced measurement tools. You know, instead of just emailing PDFs around, you got these platforms that can manage these pieces of data and don't have to go lost on hard drives and emails. So, I'm optimistic things are going to look a lot different in the next couple of years.
0: That's awesome, Maddie. Now, why don't you let uh, our listeners know where they can find you, uh, Glove Systems, try to find out if that's a good fit for them, be it fabricators or potential project owners.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we got a website at uh, www.glovesys.com, that's our website. We are fairly active on LinkedIn. We, I, I'd like to be more active, but.
0: <laughs> I know. I know work marketing balance, right? That's a struggle for everybody. <laughs>
1: exactly. I myself, probably the best place to reach me would be through LinkedIn or just my email, madi@colossus.com. Happy to help anyone that thinks that they could have an application for this.
0: Perfect. If you want to, I think I saw your three-minute pitch as well. I know I could not tell, but you got you really honed your messaging. It came out really well. I'm sure they can find that on your website and, and sort of
1: actually, yes. No, you're right. That will be on our YouTube channel. So we got YouTube a look. Yeah, we got a small YouTube channel yep. that video is up there. It was hard to get there. And I think it could have been improved, but that's great feedback.
0: Hey, you know, as they say, you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank Absolutely. you so much, Maddie. This was a fascinating conversation. And, you know, hopefully we'll keep in touch and see where you guys are going. Like you said, post-COVID, who knows what's going to happen, right?
1: Anytime, Matt. Thank you for having me on.